You're listening to an AINC original podcast. We believe you don't have to do life without a compass. Let us be your guide on this amazing journey. Welcome to Navigating Life with Vision Loss. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of Navigating Life with Vision Loss. My name is Jonathan Price. I am the podcast producer. And before we get into Kim's episode with Ed Henkler and part two, just wanted to say a massive thank you for everybody and their donations to the Colorado Gives Day. We did a massive number and we're so thankful for everything that you guys have done to support AINC staff and the family. We also want to thank you for all the downloads that you guys have um, listened to when it comes to Blind Level Tech, uh, Navigating Life with Vision Loss, Aftersight, and Blindsight. Um, we are getting the word out. We are quickly becoming a staple of the blind community, and we're so thankful, and we could not do it without you. So without further ado, we're going to turn it over to Kim. If you missed part one, go back and listen to a few weeks ago with Ed Henkler. It's an amazing episode. All right, Kim, take it away. Right. Well, I know um, on your on your website, you have six levels of thriving. Um, just talking about as you have, you don't want to just survive, you want to thrive and for the person who's experiencing the vision loss, that that journey to really help a person thrive and maybe, as your mom did, do something new where she hadn't traveled overseas until after she'd lost vision. Could you tell us a little bit more about those six levels of thriving? Absolutely. It sort of goes back a long, long time ago. I, I went to a service academy and one of the things we had something called plebe summer, which was a very, very painful, to me at least, experience of, mm-hmm. of about sixty days of uh, of a rather hellish environment. And one of the things they told us day one, back in the old days with a paper calendar, but they said whatever number of days it was, call it sixty days. At the end of every day, put an X through that day. And I remember at the beginning thinking, oh, "That's pretty silly." But it wasn't. We were marking our progress through a very difficult journey. That's some of the principle behind the six the six thriving levels, this idea that you're not going to go straight back to what you had before or beyond that. But take a look at what's out there. And I've actually set it up on my website that you can print a blank one of them off and define by level what it means to you. What, what does it look like if you complete level one, level two, level three? Level one, I think, is similar for everybody. It's what people call the ADLs, activities for daily living. It's learning to cook again. It's learning to put the, the textured or puffy paint on, on your microwave and on your stove and that type of thing so you can do those things. It's orientation mobility skills. It's really, I'm going to call it survival skills. And maybe that's pushing a little bit, but it's really learning to do the things that you took for granted when you were sighted. You have to get through that. And the way I present the six levels, that looks as though it's the same length of time as everything else. And it's highly unlikely it is. In fact, one of the folks from the Montgomery County Association for the Blind said, hey, I really like your six levels, but do you have any idea how long level one takes? I said, 
Now, I guess I hadn't really thought about that. They said it's a lot. You're, trans- you're going through the transition of vision loss, which is emotional. It's that whole idea of five stages of grief, all those things. You're losing something you had. You're going to be bargaining. You're going to be in denial, anger, all the different things going on. So you've got that going on. You're learning how to do things an entirely different way than you used to because you don't have that visual input. You're learning just not to trip over the carpet in your in your where you live, all these things. You have to get through that stage. It's going to take a long time. You can be dealing with other people that may become impatient. That caregiver or caretaker of yours may say, you know what? And it, the example I'm going to give applies so much to people who have lost somebody, uh, the, 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 a loved one has passed on, is, you know what? They, they, they left, they, they, they died three months ago. Uh, you've had enough time. It's time to get back out in the play, you know, in the workplace, rejoin life. Well, there's no magic amount of time. Some people are going to process all that faster. Some may take much longer. The same is true with vision loss. I, I know people, and we'll come back to this at level six, but I know somebody that lost his sight dramatically and suddenly to an IED in Afghanistan. One year to the day after he lost his sight, he was winning swimming gold in the London Paralympics. Wow. Well, that's crazy fast. That person mm-hmm. went from, and, and he has two prosthetic eyes. There's no vision at all. But he went through that whole process. Within a year, he was setting world records. Now, he was a swimmer beforehand, mm-hmm. but not a world-class swimmer. He just, he just was going to change. So somebody like him, who's now working on his PhD at one of the Ivy Leagues, is exceptional. Somebody else may take longer. They will take longer. It just depends on how you adapt, your resilience and all that. It's no right or wrong time. The only thing I would say with that level one is at some point, you need to start pushing the person if they're not pushing themselves. And there's no right time. It just You just have to reach the point where you feel like, you know, I, I think they're ready to move on. I think they're just afraid at this point or whatever may be holding them back. The next stages beyond that are really just progressive. And this is my own thing. I'm sure it's not completely unique. But once you've gotten the basic skills down, now you want to start doing, you want to start hanging out with your friends, maybe just going going to a movie if it makes sense. There are plenty of adapted movie theaters and things like that where you can go even if you're uh, blind. Getting back out, going to that Phillies game or whoever your hometown team is, going to a concert, doing things like that. You're doing them with somebody else. It's not necessarily really breaking any barriers, but you're starting to live your life again. You're no longer just surviving. You're starting to thrive. Level three is where you start. Let's say you're of employment age. Well, now let's be looking for a job. Let's figure out what you can do with your modified situation. Maybe it's a matter just of learning some software because the Software like JAWS and other adaptive software lets a person who's blind do almost anything. But you have to learn how to use it. So learn how to use that. Start getting your confidence, your mojo back for going in on an interview. That sort of thing and start looking for the interviews. By the time you get to level four, I'm going to say you're back to where you were before. And this is something, as I said, everybody can personalize it. So you, you put in what makes sense for you. If, if you're not looking for employment, maybe it's to go volunteer somewhere. Or maybe it's whatever it may be. Fill, fill in what's relevant for you because it's an individual, individualized acts uh, idea. Level five is now where you're doing things you never did before. There is a blog post that I wrote on a woman who learned to water ski. You know, what, 
us to surf, to water surf, after losing her sight. So she had wow. been a, a skier, I guess, a, a snow skier, but she had never surfed, and she learned to surf after losing her sight. Um, examples like that. So now I'm not just living the life I did before. I'm doing things that I didn't do before. Maybe things I would have picked up as I got older or as I had time, but I'm taking on new things. I know somebody who loved to cook and she lost her sight. So she initially just regained all the fairly high level culinary skills, not just not the basic activities for daily living, but really high end cooking skills. But then she created a, a, a business called The Blind Kitchen, which oh, has, yes. maybe, you know, has assistive technology for people who want to cook. And she teaches people who want to cook. So I'm going to mm -hmm. say, that, in fact, by her own words, that was way above and beyond what she had done before. Level six is the one most people aren't going to get to. I got in trouble with a group because I said, I don't expect I don't expect any of you to become Paralympians. And they told me afterwards, why would you say that? I said, well, because I only know two or three Paralympians in 65 years of life. I mean, statistically, and I can become a Paralympian just because most people won't. I said, I'm not trying to discourage. I'm just also trying to be realistic about what's there. But there are people, the, the person I mentioned who, who learned to, who became a world-class athlete, he's won, I think, five gold, three silver, a guy named Brad Snyder. Uh, there are all sorts of people like that. I think you, all of you are connected with Eric Weinmeyer, who's done astounding mm -hmm. things both in mountain climbing, but also in uh, kayaking and, and waterborne activities. There are people who would never have been an entrepreneur who started up a business because they couldn't do what they had been doing before, and they learned to do that. Uh, some of them are trying to change the world. A call I had earlier today was with a woman who is down to single digit, maybe 5% remaining vision. And she has started a company called Shunya, which is focusing on a different type of orientation and mobility app that she thinks someday could eliminate the white cane. Hmm. Now, I will say I've pushed back on her and said the same reason I, I talked about my mom, unless that person wears a sweatshirt that says I'm blind, I think I probably want them still to have the cane. But it's more now to tell other people. Her concept is that it'll pick up so much detail in a three-dimensional way of her surroundings that she will be able to, to navigate and others will be able to navigate without needing a cane anymore to check for surface imperfections and, mm -hmm. and people around her and all that. Mm -hmm. I think she, she already successfully started and turned over a nonprofit. And now she's trying to do this for-profit. So... It isn't who she was going to be, but sight loss drove her down that path. And, and there are stories throughout my blog, blog on that sort of thing because I keep trying to make people thrive. That idea that you don't have to give up, that you, there's anything, anything you choose to do, you can do. In some cases with help, in other cases without. Uh, one other gentleman has created a training course that teaches people who are blind how to be cybersecurity experts. Mm -hmm which is another, I think you may all know, also know Kirk Adams, but you think about that, people who are blind used to get menial jobs, uh, packing boxes, things like that. That's always been the model for people with disabilities. Well, it's a whole different world where you learn to be a cybersecurity expert. <laughs> and, it, yeah. and it opens up a whole different level of compensation structure and all that. And it just makes you realize you can do anything. So um, 
level six doesn't have to be about bearing a Paralympian, but it does need to be a stretch that's way past what you were comfortable doing before. And if you don't reach it, that's fine. In fact, if you stop at level four, that's fine. You've you've restored your life. You're you're able to do everything you were doing before, maybe a little more. And that to me is thriving. Mm-hmm. Well, and it seems like it's really about choices and people making choices for themselves and and defining what it is that they they want. Which is a perfect word because a lot of my posts say choose to thrive. Why would you choose anything else? <laughs> yeah. So you're right. Exactly right. Um, so we've talked a, a lot about um, the different levels of thriving and um, resources for individuals who are experiencing vision loss and maybe those closest to them that are being caretakers initially and then caregivers. Um, looking at people more on, on the outside, because I, I see on your website also that you have resources, you know, for employers and and for other, you know, individuals, um, and as well as caregivers um, that that might be wondering, well, what's going to happen if this this person who who is blind seems very very qualified? They seem like they could do the job. Um, but I've never hired a blind person before, and so maybe employers would have would have questions. Yeah, it's it's actually one of my great areas of passion. People who are blind, and the statistics vary, but most people would tell you are about seventy percent unemployed. Those who would like to be employed are seventy percent unemployed. But there's kind of a weird thing going in, in our going on in our workforce right now. This was from a couple months ago, but they say that there were, at the time, there were 10 million open positions and 6 million people seeking them. Mm-hmm. So that means you've got more open positions than people looking for them. And right. furthermore, just in general, people are not staying with jobs long. Mm-hmm. They're always chasing a little bit higher compensation, whatever the case may be. So you tend to have much reduced loyalty and a, a, a skewed candidate versus open position role. Looking broadly at people with disabilities and then specifically people who are blind, that whole community tends to be greatly underemployed or unemployed uh, because it's both. Sometimes it's doing a job that's far below what they're capable of doing, but because people don't understand. So if I switch over the employer side, and this is true for almost any disability, accommodations in general are very inexpensive, maybe up to $1,500 for most disabilities, most types, and often less. And if the person, depending on whether they're using a company laptop or their own, they may already have some of the software that they need to interact. So it's not a cost issue. Every state has multiple associations for the blind. Those can come into, those folks can come into an employer workplace, look around and just make sure that the place is set up for somebody who's blind. And again, those are typically trivial changes, but just making sure, and they'll also take the person who's blind and familiarize them with the area so that they won't need assistance. So I'm going to tell you within general, somebody who's blind or for the employer's side, within a couple of weeks, they're going to be as independent as somebody who is sighted. And what becomes even weirder to me was some of the apps that are out there, 
I posited a, a future where the person who's blind might actually be showing the person who is sighted how to use technology or how to find their way into a conference room because the person who's sighted thinks they know where they're going and the person who's blind has the memorized directions or an app telling them where they are. So the, the adaptation is going to be quick and the really any laptop based job is, is easy for a transition. Certainly other jobs that they can do also. But particularly anything that's laptop-based, which is so many different jobs, they can readily do. So that's the transition piece for the, the employer, maybe the fear fear component. But the other side, and this was demonstrated at Walgreens, and it was demonstrated by um, by a, 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 a senior leader in supply and distribution. But they hired a whole lot of people. They were actually at one point hiring two out of three people who were with disabilities, uh, and this was Randy Lewis that was doing it. Two out of three people had disabilities. And what they found was that the people with disabilities were more loyal. The retention was far higher than it was for the people without disabilities. They had better safety records. One of the things that I'd point to, it's not blindness, but it's on the hearing side. They were using people with hearing impairment as forklift drivers, which sounds like a pretty scary thing. You've got that big heavy piece of equipment. Now the person can't hear. Somebody shouts at them. Their safety record was better than the people do, who were not hearing impaired because they knew they couldn't hear. So they were actually more diligent in looking around and checking before they did anything. Mm-hmm. They uh, their, their performance, everything they were doing was better on average. And the, one of the things that I had not thought about, but they said the supervisors liked coming to work more because these people were so grateful to be able to work at a mainstream job for mainstream wages that they loved coming to work. They just brought a great attitude with them. Making that specific to people who are blind, if you hire somebody who's blind, you're going to get somebody that is not going to leave you unless you have a completely toxic toxic environment. They're going to assume they'll never get another job if they leave you. So why would they? You gave them a chance. They're going to stay with you. So forget the transition after a year or two. They're, they're with you for life if you're willing to to have them for that. People who are blind also bring skills. This is about them being different. As we talked about on an earlier pod, podcast, they bring different skills. There's a gentleman that has a company called Leads at Scale. He started out with two employees. One was sighted, one was blind. And what they did was kind of outsource business development. They would find customers for a business as an outsourced resource. And he was doing very well. He was getting a lot of customers in to the point that he had to hire somebody else. So he thought, you know what? Why don't I put up a job description and get somebody else? And then he thought, you know what? The person who's blind is bringing me far more business than the person who's sighted. So he decided to make his whole business development function people who are blind. Uh, Now, other members of his company were sighted. It wasn't about everybody in the company being blind. But he felt they did a better job listening more empathy, that sort of thing, than somebody hmm. who was sighted. On average, as with everything that I'm saying, these are just averages. There are people that are not at all empathetic, and there are people that are sighted that are empathetic. But uh, just on average, they're listening better. They probably better understand the need to accommodate other people and that sort of thing. So um, there was an interesting study, which I wrote about, where they took women and had women well, they had people doing self-checks for breast cancer, and they found in order the people that were best able to detect early cancer 
were the people who were blind. The next best were the doctors. And the third best were just other women. So it was that idea because you don't have sight, you tend to rely more on touch and your other things. I don't know that your touch is better. There's a big discussion over that. Do you really, are you really more sensitive or is it just that you're more attuned to that? Um, one other, this is kind of a fun story, but they had somebody who's blind who absolutely loved music and they were doing some neural studies to try to look at what went on in his brain. And they had him, they first had him listen to a boring college lecture and hardly any sectors of his brain fired up on this brain scan. Then they played music, the type style of music that he loved. Mm -hmm. Almost every sector of his brain lit up. And that, the part that's fun, one of the sectors that lined up was the visual cortex. He had no How sight. Interesting. And the visual cortex had actually gotten repurposed to hear the music and to process that. So it goes to say that people who are blind or people with disabilities are going to have accommodations that their body makes without them even thinking about it, without them even knowing. If you're an employer and you want a loyal, creative, innovative person, hire that person who's blind. You're actually going to get a better can. It's not a compromise. It's not altruism. It's, it's smart business. Um, maybe one closing thought on that, and this is, goes to the associations for the blind if they listen in. When I worked with the One Association for the Blind, they would always say, oh, we need to, you need to hire this person. They just need to get a break in life. And I would say, coming from the for-profit world, businesses, for-profit businesses don't hire because it's a nice thing to do. They hire because there's a business reason. And for somebody who's blind or with other disabilities, there's a huge business reason. One thing I hadn't brought into that picture is the buying demographic. Uh, it's hundreds of billions of dollars in the U.S. It's over a trillion worldwide of people that are either with disabilities or connected to somebody with disabilities. It's just smart business to hire these folks. And the impediments are 90% perceived, 10% real. And that 10% is easily overcome. So for the employers out there, feel free to reach out, but you're missing out on a great resource if you're not looking at people with disabilities. Well, thank you for, for kind of talking a little bit about that from the employer perspective um, as well as the job seeker perspective. I want to take us back for our last few minutes um, back to tech. We've You've brought up tech uh, throughout uh, our, our time together, um, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about that since you've been involved in it yourself. And I know um, you've kind of broken tech down to enabling evolutionary, and revolutionary. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the, the differences that you see in the, those categories of technology? I'm going to start with a non-tech example, but a healthcare, because I think I also mentioned that idea that it's my feeling that in, in the near term, and I don't know if that's five or 10 years or whenever, I think somebody who's blind may actually have better visual skills and visual capabilities than somebody who's sighted because we're doing things both at a medical level and at a technology level that we're, we're bypassing the optic nerve. They're doing things where you're actually bypassing the optic nerve. An external camera perhaps is capturing an image and that's being directed to your mind or to your brain. It's primitive at this point, uh, as with so many things when it starts out in technology where maybe you'll see the shape 
of a letter or a shape of an object, but you won't even be able to tell what it is. But you're seeing a shape again, so that's an improvement. Mm -hmm. If you think about Moore's law, that idea that technology or, or computer capacity improves every 12 to 18 months, doubles, I think it is, is, is the capabilities expand and AI is only going to drive this faster? At what point am I getting a, a very solid visual image to the brain bypassing the eye? And if I can do that, there's no reason that I can't, I, I have to stick with the visual spectrum. There's no reason I can't go to infrared and ultraviolet because it's just an electrical signal. If I can transmit one electrical signal, I can transmit another. So somebody who's blind maybe suddenly sees in the dark because they're able to see infrared spectrum. So we're not there. I'm not going to pretend that it's there. But once I am able to transmit that electrical signal, then I can put anything in there, or whatever it may be. Um, if I look on the medical side, in recent weeks, maybe a few months ago at this point, they had somebody, they did a, a partial face transplant in a full eye transplants. The first time anybody had ever transplanted mm -hmm. an eye, the person had been badly injured in an electrical accident. Uh, as, of, as of right now, to my knowledge, I don't think the person has seen anything through the eye, but everything that they can see indicates there's a healthy eye. The blood flow, everything seems to be going well. Will they regain vision? I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. But the fact that they've done this now for the first time I think back to Christian Bernard a long, long time ago in a heart transplant. Once you're able to do that first one, now you start learning and you start gaining more and more knowledge about what to do. So, and you have stem cells and all those things. So if you take a combination of tech and healthcare, blindness in a first world setting to me is going to be eliminated. I, I don't know when, but it's going to be eliminated. Now, if I look at the, what you ask the evolutionary versus, versus revolutionary, all that, software is constantly being upgraded and apps are constantly mm -hmm. being upgraded. They have uh, their apps out right now that will tell you, they'll look at the signage that's around you and it'll tell you where you are, what orientation you have and what's, what's near you, what's around you. As that software keeps getting better, that's just evolutionary. It's getting better. Uh, it's not something radically different than you had before. It's just getting better with each iteration of it. And that's great. And sometimes that's the best of all because it's easy to use. You're already familiar with it. Now you're just getting a new version of an app or something like that. But there are other things that are out there that just will transform life for people. And that's back to that electrical signal. If I can restore sight via technology to somebody that's lost their sight, I've changed everything now. All, all of those impediments that were there before because I couldn't see are gone. Um, it's not, it doesn't fit either of those categories, but I think about cataract surgery, and I forget what the percent is. I think it's 80% of preventable, maybe higher, preventable blindness is from cataracts, typically in India and other settings like that where they don't have cataract surgery, or at least it's not readily accessed. Mm -hmm. If you can solve problems like that, restoring sight, it, it just, it changes everything about somebody's employability, about somebody's state of mind, their health, their their depression or lack of depression now because they can see that's where that's where the world is just changing and i think this is where i'm going to bring ai open ai back into it a lot of the technologies for computer vision rely on on data that's already stored in in in, 
insistence. It's already stored as memory. Uh, the, the, the chat GPT and that sort of thing is taking all that information, searching through it, and then creating answers based on that. The speed at which that data is increasing has just gone crazy with, with open AI. And the more it's out there, the better the identification gets. There's a company called Be My Eyes mm-hmm. that started out with just people that were volunteers that somebody could call up and say, hey, what, what am I looking? What can right, I describe this to me? <laughs> yep, exactly. What can of soup am I holding? Well, now a lot of that information is coming via AI. Uh, and it's only going to a human volunteer if they're, I think, less than 90% certain what they're saying is right. And that percent is, and that accuracy is going to go up every single day. Think back to Google Maps. Initially, you were driving into ponds and things like that because it wasn't really very good. But the more information we got, the more accurate it got. Open AI is going to drive this forward so much faster. And that means somebody who's blind now with an app on their phone is going to get information about their surroundings that may be more detailed than somebody who's sighted is able to garner. So it's a brave new world. <laughs> it is. I know people who who use that um, and are using the AI version of that and say it's just amazing. So there's one fun part of that too. Be my eyes to some degree made somebody who's blind independent, but only sort of because they're still calling another human to get help. Mm-hmm. And. And there's vulnerability. If you're asking somebody to look at a bill or something like that, maybe they're seeing compromising information. Or maybe you're not asking them to look at that, but they see it in the background. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I should say in that example with the open AI, obviously technology is seeing your background too. But you're no longer relying on another human. And I think at a level of independence, that has to feel wonderful. I'm not waking somebody up. I'm not depending on somebody else's kindness or honesty. I'm getting the information via technology. And that means that's no different than me who's sighted using GPS to drive somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, Ed, this has been just a wealth of information on so many levels. I, I know December, our our topic uh, is, is holidays, but you've given us so much more than just information to use during the holidays, um, but really all year through. Do you have any um, final thoughts for our listeners? Only that I believe you can thrive. I want to see you thrive. And if I can ever help in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out. And while you're doing that, if you've come across a brilliant solution, don't hesitate to let me know about it. I love to profile new things that are out there, and it helps all of you. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Ed's website, again, is theblindguide.com. There's a wealth of information, uh, whether you are experiencing vision loss yourself um, or you're trying to uh, be a caregiver for someone or you're, you're an employer and interested in learning more about uh, hiring a person and the benefits of, of hiring a person um, who has vision loss and, and some of the adaptive um, aids around that. There's just a wealth of information on his website. So um, thanks so much, Ed. I hope, I hope you and your wife have wonderful holidays. And the same to you and all of your listeners. Thanks so much. Well, I hope um, you've enjoyed this episode of Navigating Life with Vision Loss and um, that this information has really been helpful to you. Um, As I mentioned at the top, 
of the program. It is Colorado Gives Day. So we and all the other nonprofits that are participating、um, definitely appreciate your donations at the end of the year.、Um, I hope all of you have. Um, are having wonderful holiday seasons as well, and that our program helps you navigate your life with vision loss. <music>